This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. TB Wrestling Network listeners, fans, and loyalists, welcome to this month's episode of your monthly journey to an alternate universe where things are not as they seem. Things might be worse, or maybe things might be better, or we all have goatees for you Trekkies out there. Welcome to this month's episode of Through the Looking Glass. I am your co-host, Scott Criscola. Welcome. It's great to uh, be here with you again on this July uh, if you're listening to this when it drops, this July, Wednesday, Wednesday in July. Uh, hope you're enjoying the summer for those on my side of the world or in your winter for those on my co-host side of the world. Um, we got a great topic uh, this month, very uh, fitting, considering what's going on at the end of the month. Uh, let me bring in my co-host. He uh, is an OG of the PTB universe, one of my favorite people. He's does he's done stuff here for years, uh, and he's going to actually join us on a future episode uh, of the Place Be Podcast. Myself and uh, Mr. Rosero. We're not going to tell you which one. You'll have to listen. And uh, he has also helped out over on uh, the No So. Let's go to the Thunder from Down Under, where now I know how he felt when we did our episode in January because it's humid as hell today. Uh, good morning, afternoon, or evening, Mr. Dave Hall. Uh, good morning, good evening, and good night to everyone around the world. Thanks <laughs> once again for joining us. Um, it's a lovely, lovely winter's day down here in Australia. Um, not not as humid as uh, as it is up there in the in the US, but um, I'm I'm enjoying my day, and it's great to have you along. Um, so thank you for that kind introduction, Scott. As always, you are a scholar and a gentleman, and I uh, I always enjoy. Uh, doing this, doing this each time. So um, yeah, it's 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 good. It's it's going well down here, and uh, I'm uh, I'm excited about our our journey through the through the Looking Glass today. Uh, Dave, thank you. Uh, you are very uh, always so kind. It's always good to be with you uh, monthly. We've had some fun journeys uh, uh, since October when we premiered, and we have now done. This is our. We've hit ten actually. Uh, uh, we're doing my double math, figures. Right? This is our, we are double figures. That's a good thing, Dave Hall. When a podcast hits double digits, you've succeeded because <laughs> because listen, I've been I'm on pods now that have reached triple digits. So, but uh, when you've hit double digits on a podcast, you've succeeded. It means you're doing well, and uh, people enjoy what you're listening to. So we thank you for your support. We get the uh, the the comments uh, on social media as well as our hits every month have been great. Thank you very much. You've been very, very kind. Uh, we couldn't do this without you. I mean, we'd just be talking to ourselves, which most wrestling fans probably like doing, but we don't. We like talking to you, and we love your input. Uh, so, again, uh, at PTBN Wrestling is our Twitter. Uh, follow us. Uh, we always have a good time going to the alternate universe through the looking glass, and this month's topic, very fitting. One thing i got to give my, uh, my, uh, my boy here, Mr. Hall, credit for is he's always very uh, very uh, timey, timely, timey-wimey, if you're a Doctor Who fan, uh, with uh, his topics, because 
Of course, uh, this month's topic is very fitting considering what is going to be going on on Sunday, July 31st, the final day of the month of July. Uh, it is uh, quite, uh, uh, shall we say, um, legendary uh, because we're going to talk about a legend tonight. Um, Dave Hall, why don't you uh, let everyone know what and who we're talking about tonight? Well, you, you touched a moment ago on the, uh, on the concept of the mirror universe. And I, I just want to start by asking you this question, Scott. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the greatest of them all? And I think for most wrestling fans who've been around for a long time, uh, who've probably been fans since the 80s, I think there is one name that immediately jumps to mind when you talk about the greatest of them all, and that is none other than the nature boy himself. Woo! Ric Flair. And, uh, and, and tonight, you know, we are going to do a bit of a journey looking at, some, uh, at, at the final stages of Ric Flair's career. Or, or were they? Um, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna touch on uh, we're going to touch on the retirement storyline of Ric Flair from two thousand seven and two thousand eight, which, as you said, Scott, is very timely because Ric Flair is having his uh, what is this now? His fiftieth retirement match um, at the end of the month. Um, yeah, he, you know what? At this rate, he may catch Terry Funk's retirement matches before the end of the year. Yeah, no, it's it, it, really good. <laughs> so no, uh, as you, as you alluded to, um, Ric Flair is uh, has obviously announced that he's having the the last match, his last match ever at the end of the month, and uh, we're still waiting to hear who he's going to be facing. I guess, I guess when it comes to Flair, he can sell tickets on his own. The you know he got to the point where he could sell tickets on his own. But um, yeah, well, what do you think? Do you have any idea who he's going to be meeting in his last match ever? To be determined at the moment, <laughs> the, uh, as of our recording, uh, we do not have an opponent yet for his uh, match in Nashville on uh, Sunday, July 31st. Um, there's some other matches that are set uh, for that show, uh, some tags, some four ways, a couple title matches via impact, but Ric Flair's opponent yet to be determined. I'm curious, Dave, and this is something we could talk about. We may talk about it later this week. Uh, on our ep- on this week on our episode uh, of Place Be Nation's main event, but I- I'm uh, I'm curious if they're gonna hold back on his opponent and they announce it that night. I don't know if that would hurt buy rates because it is a pay per view, so you buy it in, here in the in North America. I'm not sure about your neck of the woods, Dave, but here in North America, you buy it through um, Fight TV. I am not sure whether uh, that would be business in terms of business a feasible thing. Or if uh, if it's smart to just announce the opponent and be good with it. So at the moment we don't have an opponent, but I'm sure he's going to wrestle somebody. I'm not <laughs> sure who. <laughs> well, well ho- hopefully it's someone that that um, was meaningful to his career. I know that there was a lot of talk they were hoping to get the dragon, and mm-hmm. um, and that that seems to have fallen through. But I do hope that whatever they do. It's someone that was meaningful to his career, someone that was heavily tied in in some way or another or associated with, I don't know, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, you know, guys like, I mean, 
I know that the Rock and Roll Express have already got a match on there and maybe a match against um, uh, Robert, R- Ricky Morton could have been good or you know, maybe maybe someone like a Barry Windham, maybe mm. maybe Dustin Rhodes. You know, that's sort of the tie-in to Dusty. Dustin can still go and, and I know that he's – have I heard that he's sort of – Finished with AEW, I, I got I've got the impression that perhaps he's he's maybe his run with AEW is finished. So maybe someone like Dustin could be uh, could be uh, a way to go. But I, I hope it's someone that ties into his career. And, and I, like I said before, I think Flair is this. This is probably the point. Flair's probably the one guy in this situation that you could sell it without knowing who his opponent is, but. You got the right opponent in there. They'll probably it'll it'll garner some more eyes. I think there'll be more. There'll be people who sit there and if they heard, I mean, if they said it was against the, against the dragon, I think they would get a lot of old school fans in to see that. Um, which is you know probably why they were working for that so hard. So I don't, I don't know whether they announce it beforehand or not. I guess that's you know that's up to the promoter. But you'd hope they give us some idea of who he's facing so that it can generate a little bit of. Uh, a little bit of excitement around fans, but I've got to ask you, Scott, why why Nashville? Why not Charlotte? Because I believe the Crockett's are involved in promoting this. They are. Jim Crockett Promotions is involved in promoting it. And uh, I know that I think this had to do probably with the wanting of Steamboat because uh, the Fairgrounds Coliseum or the Nashville Coliseum is where uh, Wrestle War 89 took place, which was the third of their 1989 trilogy, mm. uh, which many consider the best of the three. I disagree. I think the best of the three was the two out of three falls at uh, Clash 6 in New Orleans. That's my favorite of those, of those three, and I think it's the best of the three. Um, although you're really splitting hairs because all three matches are like 95,000 stars. So, I mean, you're, you're, really, splitting right. hairs. you're really splitting hairs when you're coming to those three matches. But um, as a matter of fact, why don't I do a little snooping? Uh, so we are talking about flair. Uh, we'll be doing a lot of flair talking tonight. Of course, uh, Dave, a lot of us did a GW, GWCW, or I should, I guess it's G slash GNWA slash WCW, uh, greatest matches of all time. And, um, in my, uh, on my list. Okay. Those three matches Okay. Yep. The mat, uh, match one at Chicago, the uh, the Chi Town Rumble match, I had at number nine. Match two, the two out of three falls at the Clash, I have at number one, and the third match in Nashville at Wrestle War, I had at number four. So I think I think it's safe to say what I thought of those three matches. <laughs> um, but. Uh, that's probably why I think they thought maybe they were going to be able to get steamboat. I do agree that Charlotte probably was a good, would have been a good place or Greensboro. Um, uh, you know, I, but I think Nashville's a safe bet. He's had plenty of great matches there. That was a great match at Russell war 89. Uh, if you've never seen it, just go to Peacock or the network in Dave's neck of the woods and, and watch it. Cause that match, I mean, the match itself is, I mean, my words can't can't describe. If you've it. never seen it, if you've never seen it, and you call yourself a true wrestling fan, stop listening right now. Go and watch yep. them, then come back and 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 listen to the rest of this podcast. Because dead said, if you've yep. never watched Steamboat Flair, you, 
Uh, I, I'm sorry. I don't think. I think you'd have to turn in your wrestling fan license if you have never yeah. watched, watched any of those matches because, yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying. I like like you said, splitting hairs. To me, they are. You know, I, I probably have them one, two, three all time on the WCW matches list. It's that. It's that. They're that good. Yeah, uh, as a matter of fact, sensational. I have, and I am not joking. One, two, three, four, seven. I am not messing with you. Seven Steamboat Flare matches in my top one hundred. Seven, yeah. and, and I think they're all. In the top, the lowest rated match was 31. Yeah. So of the 31, of of the top 31 matches on my greatest NWA slash WCW list, seven of them were Flair Steamboat. So and it just goes, go. it just goes to tie into the greatness of the man. But but we're not we're not talking about we're not we're not talking about Steamboat tonight. Although he might, you never know, he might come into the conversation at some point. But we're, uh, we're I, I agree. But we're going to be talking about about the man himself. I mean, this is this is a night. This is an episode about about the man, and and I guess you know we're, we're talking about this this Flair Steamboat boat series. I mean, when I think, I mean, my first introduction to Ric Flair. Um, well, no, it wasn't my first. My first introduction to Ric Flair was actually the PWI Great American Bash VHS that was released in um, 85. Now, I didn't see it at that point, but the local video store, I, I think, had it around about 1980. I, I found it in about 1987, just as I was really building in my wrestling fandom. And I saw this wrestling vhs i'm like oh what's that there's a wrestling one got to get it got to get it got to watch it and i knew no one in this on this show i because i was down here in australia it was wwf only i'd never seen it but i remember getting that vhs out and watching that one and seeing that um and and enjoying it but it didn't really stick out but rick flair really came to my mind in 1988 i discovered the Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazines. And the very first one I ever bought uh, was uh, the August 1988 issue, which did a bit of coverage of the first Clash of Champions as well as WrestleMania 4. So my first exposure, real exposure to Ric Flair was the 45-minute draw with Sting. And over the course of the next year, I really, you know, those magazines became a, a, a lifeline for me to the world of wrestling because, as I've shared before, we got superstars and we got pay-per-views on VHS three months after they happened. So this was my exposure to the rest of the world. But I do remember in late 1989 or early 1990, the local video shop got the Chi-Town Rumble. And I'd already read how great these series of matches with Steamboat was. So my first real exposure to Ric Flair when I knew who he was, seeing him in the ring, was that Chi-Town Rumble match. And then, of course, not long after that, I was able to get my hands on the Music City Showdown re- match three. Um, so, and, and, and a lot of those 1988, 1989 VHSs for WCW all came out. So that 1989 year 
I managed to see pretty well every event on VHS. It was my first real exposure to the greatness of Ric Flair. And he very quickly became the, the must-see, must-watch. I, I, I loved whatever I could get of his. And so when he went to the WWF in, in, in mid-91 and, and building into that 92 Rumble, I was – I was all in, bring it on, let me see it, because he really, from that early stage, 99 was that standout point. I saw him at what is probably that peak, his peak year. I think that is without a doubt in my mind the greatest year, single year a professional wrestler has put together in, in ring and in storyline um, combined together. I don't think any wrestler's year matches that one. Uh, I mean, that build, I mean, we'll talk about this uh, obviously throughout the evening, but I, I just want to, I want to clarify something, Dave, cause I've said this on many podcasts and people seem to either don't believe me or maybe forget, but since we're talking about Ric Flair tonight, I need to get this out in the open. Okay. And this is the bona fide truth. And if you don't want to believe me, I'm not saying you, Dave, I know you believe me, <laughs> but if for those listeners who don't want to believe me, that's on you. This is the honest truth. Triple H is not my favorite wrestler of all time. Okay? He's in the top three or four. He's probably my favorite WWE-centric superstar of all time. But since we're probably going to talk about it, Dave, my favorite... My favorite wrestling superstar, my favorite wrestler of all time, bar none, never going to change, is Ric Flair. Mm. Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler to ever put on boots, period. Yeah. End of story. No debate. Well, I would say no debate, but Hulk Hogan made a ton of money. Made the WWE in the 80s. His heel turn was awesome. Not number one. Nice. Harley Race. Amazing superstar. One of the greatest wrestlers of the 70s, early 80s. Not number one. Steve Austin. Resurrected wrestling. Not number one. He'll tell you he's not number one. And you know who Steve Austin will tell you is the greatest wrestler to ever put on boots? Ric Flair. The nature boy. Yep. Ric Flair, Dave, is the main event. Always has been. Mm. Always will. He is the guy you wanted to see lose. When he was a heel, there was no, when he was a face, it was a good he was a good baby face. It wasn't a great baby face, but he's a good baby face. But when he was at his heel best, there was nobody better. Mm. Absolutely. Roddy Piper, Roddy Piper comes close. Uh, 92 Jake comes close. But when you talk about the greatest heel champion that brought butts and seats in the history of this business, it's Ric Flair. Oh, period. absolutely. Absolutely. Got to agree with that. And and the comparisons you just made, I think 
you know, what I, I, I'm of the same opinion. In my mind, he is the the greatest ever. Um, I recently, um, probably a couple of years ago, I sort of went through my DVD collection of wrestling DVDs because, you know, the network's out there and, you know, you, you don't tend to watch the DVDs much. So I, so I put a lot of stuff away. I was like, well, these don't get watched. But I, I, I sort of set aside a, a, a half dozen or a dozen of these DVDs that I'm like, these are the ones that I would still watch. I would still, you know, put on because of who's in it. And the first ones were every Ric Flair DVD or the Four Horsemen DVD that I've got, they all just went straight into the, they stay, they get watched because he is, I agree with you, the greatest ever. And I think when you look at who, some of those comparisons you just made, what separates Flair from other heels is that Flair was, he's not just a great promo, not just a good storyteller, but he was so good in the ring against whoever he faced he could mix up his offense. He could he could tell a hell of a match. He could be the coward. He could be the aggressor, um, and and it, he pulled it off every time. Um, Piper was a great brawler, but he he couldn't go hold for hold with with someone like a steamboat. Um, Jake is a magnificent psychologist, but as you and and JT have have documented quite clearly over the over the years of of the place to be podcast his exploits in ring don't always match up to the storytelling around it but flair i mean they say flair could wrestle a broomstick and make it believable and that's yes. how good he was and you know some of the stiffs that he's worked with in the ring and you've come away going, gee, that was a good match. And you see those guys then wrestle someone else and it'd be an absolute horrible match. The common denominator is Flair. He's the one who could bring out the best in people, who could work around people's weaknesses. He he made he made guys that were that have reputations as being very poor workers. I'm talking about guys like, and I'm not saying I necessarily agree with this. But, you know, guys like Nikita Koloff, Lex Luger, they have a very – they've had a poor reputation for a long time as an in-ring worker, and yet Flair brought great matches with them. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that, that's what I think sets him above the rest is, is his in-ring ability combined with his um, psychology, combined with his promo skills. And he made a great baby face when he when he worked as a baby face. The the storyline, the the build to that 1993 Starcade was fantastic. And his match with Vader, I mean, in my mind, that's a top ten. There's another top ten WCW match all time. I'm, I'd be interested to know where that ranked on your on your list. But that match with Vader is just outstanding. Uh, the match uh, from Starcade 93 on my list is, uh, incidentally, while I'm looking for it, of the 100 matches, this, this tells it all, of the 100 matches on my list, number of matches with Ric Flair in it, 29. Mm. So almost a, almost a third of my list is just him, and that includes tags, too. Mm. Uh, when did I, and you could, and uh, you could probably, you could probably, if you went to your nearly made it, there'd probably be another half dozen in there as well. Oh yeah, there was, there was, Mm. uh, that match I had at number 22. 
I can. That match, yeah. that match, that match was at number 22. Um, I actually have a match. I, I probably should switch. If I redo this, if we do a redo of this list, there might be some matches I, I, uh, I switch up. Depends. But, uh, yeah, I have that match at number 22. And that match is awesome. Um, my introduction of Flair was uh, when I started watching um, Saturday, the Saturday night NWA show. Uh, in 1985 on TBS. That was my that was my Saturday night viewing before I got to watch things like The Love Boat and uh, <laughs> The Love Boat and uh, and Fantasy Island. Um, <laughs> I was I was watching uh, I was watching uh, 605, which I think is pretty great that uh, that uh, the current NWA uh, they do their they drop their shows at 605 on Fight TV NWA Power, which I think is pretty cool. Um, but uh, um, and I realized, you know, it was, it was a very different thing. And I don't want to go down a rabbit hole about, uh, the difference between, um, say, uh, you know, WWF and WCW or NWA in the eighties, because, uh, it was very different, a product. And I loved the baby faces, um, in WWE in the WWF when I was a kid, but when I watched Crockett, I was a super mega fan of the four horsemen. Mm. No disrespect to like dusty. And I love Magnum TA. And obviously I love the road warriors, but my favorite, I mean, I loved the horsemen. I loved Rick. I loved Arn. Arden's probably in my top five of favorite wrestlers of all time. That's a guy mm-hmm. we can talk about in another episode and find some kind of find some kind of uh, of uh, looking glass topic for double A. Mm-hmm. Um, Tully, uh, Oli, you know, even Luger, um, and uh, you know, and Barry Windham, and yeah. Anyway, I think the reason I love Flair so much when I was younger, Dave, is because. Obviously, Crockett was a very different product, and we've talked about that many times here on our on our show pertaining to other things. Uh, Crockett is a very different uh, beast than the WWF of the 80s was uh, because you're, you're going in to a show, a house show, for two different reasons. You're going to a house show in the WWF to watch Hulk Hogan defend the WWF title and vanquish a heel. You're you're going if you're but if you're living in Norfolk or Charlotte or Greensboro or or Greenville, South Carolina or or Atlanta, Georgia or Nashville or Memphis or anywhere down there or Tampa or whatever, anywhere in the south, you are going to see a babyface attempt to. um, Attempt to. Vanquish the dastardly. uh, Ric Flair and usurp him as the NWA world's uh, heavyweight champion. Uh, and 90% of the time, obviously, you were going to leave uh, disappointed. Either he was going to lose, or uh, either he was going to lose, or uh, um, or uh, you were going to get a count out or a DQ win or some type of flim flammery. Uh, so Crockett made money differently than Vince made money differently based on the different types of, uh, of champions. So, um, 
that was just how the WWF was in the 80s. And that's just how Crockett was in the 80s. But as time progressed when you were a kid, as much as you hated Flair, you had to begrudgingly admit the guy could make... If the guy could make Road Warrior Hawk look good in a singles match, mm. good Lord. I mean, think about it, Dave. It, it, talking it's, about, it's astonishing. Yeah, it's it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Um so he just knew how to get you going. He was an amazing performer and he knew how to make your whether it was your local guy in your promotion look like he was literally 2 centimeters away from becoming the world. Think about that, Dave. How that is not easy to take some ham and egger from some little promotion at Podunk Montana or whatever. Let's just, I mean, being obnoxious, I'm being a little facetious, but seriously, mm. here's a guy. I mean, you could get any podunk local guy from some local promotion that was a representative of the NWA. And let me tell you something. Ric Flair would make that guy and make you feel like literally two centimeters away, two centimeters away from becoming world heavyweight champion. Hmm. That's how great Ric Flair was. Anybody, Dave, I don't care who it was, but he fucking Landell for Christ's sakes. One of his uh, coke, uh, coked up fucking performances. Ric Flair made him look like he was two centimeters away from becoming the world's heavyweight champion. Hmm. That, Dave Hall, is the greatness of Ric Flair. That oh. right there. Absolutely. Well, you you talk about greatness and, and and work with anyone. If you if you go through the history books, I'm, now I haven't got it open in front of me, but I'm I, I know in the early days when WCW signed our our favorite our our hero of the place to be nation our 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 ambassador of of awesomeness Eligante. <laughs> the the, the yes. first bloke he was working with in ring, or one of the first blokes he was working with, he was straight in with Ric Flair because they knew that Ric Flair was one of probably the only person who could make him look semi decent in the ring. I right. mean, that, you 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 just you've, you've got this guy who was just everyone he ever faced. He he elevated them. Um, there's a great story in his in his biography, in his autobiography, where he talks about wrestling George South on television and and how he decided that day he was going to make George South basically be Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And he got George South to do all the Steamboat moves, but he was selling and selling for George South like he was the Dragon. And, you know, it's one of the one of these memorable TV job matches. And here's this guy, journeyman, never never above anything other than look at the lights – and Flair was making him look like a million bucks. Um, it's just who he was. He's he was just sensational at it. And um, yeah, the, the the biggest shame I felt in his career was the fact that, like you said, he he garnered, got to that point where everyone, the fans, respected him, no matter whether he was a babyface or a heel. He was respected. And I think the worst thing that ever happened to his career was the rise of the NWO because he went from being one of the top two guys in the company to being an afterthought. And he was within six months because of the, the snowball effect that the NWO had and the, and the need to be 
highlighting guys like Nash and Hall and Hogan's heel turn and the impact all that that was and this this push of Sting to be the saviour, which all that storyline is fantastic. I'm not knocking any of that storyline, but the victim in it all was Ric Flair, who was pushed aside, who really his career seemed to stagnate at the end, even though he had still had it in ring at that time. He just seemed to become an afterthought. And those latter years of WCW, Ric Flair really, he's, he's playing second and third fiddle to these guys from a political sense because the company needed to push them for whatever reason. And yet when Flair was in the ring, he could still outperform them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And he... And when it came to his promos, oh, oh, Dave, I mean, they were just, they were luscious. I mean, he, he's standing there, uh, you know, on the, on the, uh, stage, you know, on the, the set in Atlanta, every, every, uh, every, uh, Saturday night and talking about the Rolexes and his Mm. favorite place. I can't remember the name, but his favorite place in Kansas City where he gets his suits. I can't remember his, the name of the his place. His thousand dollar suits in his yep. thousand dollar shoes. Shoes. I, I, my favorite thing. My favorite. One of my favorite lines to Tony Schiavone was, "My shoes are worth more than your house." I don't know where you got that suit from. <laughs> I'd be ashamed to wear it. That was like one of my favorite Blair uh, lines of all time. Um, you know, it was just magic. Him figuring out how to get over not only himself, not only the horseman, but whatever baby face he was going to take on that weekend in Philadelphia or Mm. Baltimore or Charlotte or Norfolk or Richmond or Nashville or, you know, Murfreesboro or God knows where else. Um, He was just that good, Dave. And not just as a heel, as a baby face, like he's, He's he could turn it from like he like these arrogant promos as a heel that made you oh please whoever he's fighting you know Dusty beat him up Ricky take the belt you know Lex Sting just destroy this guy because he was so arrogant and over the top and yet and yet in 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 no time at all he could have you cheering for every move and be behind him with 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 the heartfelt pleas and the I'm determined, I'm going to, I mean, his promos in 89 with Terry Funk. Are, oh yeah. Are unbelievable. The, the whole, the whole, is he, am I going to retire? I'm going to come back and the hatred and the, that whole funk storyline, that, that were, they were great promos. The, the promo that, you know, one of from the latter years, the, the four horsemen reunion promo and the, um, Fire me, Eric Bischoff. One mm-hmm. is just so passionate, and in you know the, the 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 way he can get the fans behind him as well. So it didn't matter whether he was a a good guy or a bad guy or in between. He he just drew you in. He knew how to he knew how to tell the story, like none out, not like no one before him. Yep, absolutely, and. Uh, that that I, I remember that Nitro in '98 when when uh, uh, when Flair came back and he was saying to uh, 
and he was saying to, uh, you know, fire me. I'm already fired. Fire me. I'm already fired. Like, he's just so great. And the respect. Like, it's sad, I think, that him and Arn are not as close as they used to be. Because Arn, uh, Arn always called him uh, the champ. I give you the champ. I, I love the way he used to say that. That was so great. Um, uh, it, it To the very end, he knew how to put uh, guys over. Guys over and put himself over. Worked every time. And uh, um, that's just the greatness of Flair, Dave. I mean, just it worked every time. Didn't matter whether it was Ricky Steamboat or Buddy Landell or Kerry Von Erich or Mike Von Erich or, uh, Christ, I don't know, Lex Luger, Ricky Morton, uh, Rick Rude when they feuded in 93. I mean, the matches weren't the best, but they're still pretty good. Uh, you know, it didn't matter. He just knew how to spin the narrative and make you want to watch. And and I'm not saying he's the only one that could do that, but he was most certainly close to the best at it. Um, you know? abso- absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just not just the the narrative, like the role he played in bringing guys along um, in ring wise, like people, people credit, you know, Lex Luger joined the horsemen and, and worked with them and, and his, you know, his in-ring work came along. Sting, Sting basically learned on the job working with Ric Flair in the ring and, and you even bring it to, to the modern era. I, I mean, I recently sat and watched the, evolution episode of the ruthless aggression series on uh, mm-hmm. on 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 the network and and the role that flair played in helping mold randy orton and batista in ring and and out of ring i mean he he's not just not just the ability he had to work with people himself but the ability to, to sort of support other guys and and help them grow as in ring competitors is I don't think anyone's ever had that complete package. He, he really comes across as as that complete package, um, and and I, you know the other guys who sit there as the greats just don't quite carry it. Like you, you, you know, Hulk Hogan, you know, had the charisma and the and the promo skills, and and in ring he he had to work his style. It was the only one that worked. But Hogan was never known to really give to other wrestlers and really bring them along. Um, Austin, Austin is sensational, but probably at his peak as a wrestler, he was limited by his injuries. Uh, he couldn't work probably the way he wanted to work. Um, and it's a shame that we, and it was such a limited time, time period. Um, you know, you can probably go through and compare him to everyone. There'll always be something that just sets Rick just above everyone else that he's ever, that, that, that's ever up there in those comparisons. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, as for you brought up evolution in, in that era, 2002 and 2008, I, I want to, I was just looking at your, your notes. I, I want to bring, I want to help you bring up that topic mm. talking about wrestling and and I'll uh, I'll I'll get the, the 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 discussion started. Flair leaves 
in 19. Well, obviously we go through the whole thing. He, he's a stud and Crockett for throughout the eighties, main eventing every starcade feuding with dusty feuding with, uh, Ricky Morton, you know, he had the great match. He had a pretty good match at Starcade 86 with Nikita Koloff, which he had to do because, uh, because, uh, uh, you know, the, the car accident Magnum's that, injury. That, that knocked out Magnum. Yep. And then you have, uh, you know, feuds with Ronnie Garvin and then Luger again. And then finally the match, the f- matches with sting and the matches with steamboat. Then we get the black scorpion slop. And then, by 1991, uh, he wants to literally punch Jim Hurd in the face, and uh, and that's it. He leaves in mid 91 for for the WWF. He's there for not even two years, more like eighteen uh, months. Eighteen months. Yes, yeah, eighteen months. Wins the world title at the Rumble, which was one of the greatest Rumbles, if not the greatest Rumble ever. Him and Savage have a banger match at WrestleMania eight. But go back to our WrestleMania episode that we did in uh, March. I think. Yeah, March, where we discuss uh, tweaking WrestleMania 8. See how, see how I, I, I uh, kind of got the plug in there, Dave? That's like a good, that? good plug. Yeah, dude, I've only been, I've been doing this. I've, I've been doing this a little bit, you know, just a little bit. But <laughs> uh, go back, go back to our March episode when Dave and I rebooked some WrestleManias. And we talk about how to, how to get to ultimately Flair versus Hogan at WrestleMania 8. But that's another episode. So he wrestles Savage. Great match. Goes through the summer. The whole warrior perfect thing, yabba, 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 loses to perfect at, on that Raw 93, gone. Goes back to WCW, is there for the next eight years through the, the he goes, he's there through the Monday Night War, and he gets beat up by the NWO and gets treated like absolute dirt, which was just fucking criminal. Mm. Shows up the night after, it's one of my favorite Raw moments ever, shows up the night after Survivor Series 2001, the night after the, the, uh, Invasion angle mercifully ended. And the next question we ask ourselves is, Dave, that six-year stretch from 2002 to the little back end that we're going to talk about that we will get to tonight, uh, should he have been in those matches? Should this retirement have been earlier? And I'm going to start the discussion by saying, it depended how you used him. Uh, if you go back, and the reason I'm saying this, Dave, is I want to plug another great uh, episode of the Place to Be podcast. Justin and I did, and I believe it was Backlash 2005. I'm trying to think when Umaga debuted. Yeah, around that time, I think. Yeah, was it Backlash 05 or back? I think it was Backlash 05. Umaga debuts and beats up Ric Flair and 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 pins him. And Ju- Justin and I, JR and I, had a very, very spirited uh, debate about... Um, about uh, Ric Flair's role in the company during this period. And I said to him, cause he thought I was, I was just being a fanboy for saying, why, why would Ric Flair not put guys over? And I said, and I said, JR, you're being too simple with that, with that argument. I'm not saying that Ric Flair at that point in his career should not be putting guys over. What I'm saying is you need to build it. You still need to treat him as something special. Mm. This isn't, this isn't, uh, 
I'm sorry, this isn't Pedro Morales in 1986, 87, you know, putting over, getting, getting, you know, beating up the bums and then putting over the better guys on TV. This is not, I'm sorry, no disrespect to Pedro Morales. He's not Ric Flair. Um, mm. I had no problem with Ric Flair putting guys over. What I had a problem with was Ric Flair just being thrown in there as, as, as a disposable flesh for a squash. That that's what I had a problem with. Mm. Kind of like the 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 kind of like the Steve Austin Brock Lesnar thing that had that for that made Austin that had Austin bail yep. in uh, two thousand two, which is maybe that might be a topic to talk about down the line. Um, I was uh, I, I was so disgusted at how Flair was just treated like meat instead of even if he agreed to it, being treated like meat instead of you know throw some other guy in there to job out to 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 Umaga. Use flair to put over guys over a period of time, you know, a long game, mm. an or uh, a, a Cena, you know, somebody like that. Not just throw him in there in some throwaway match on a secondary pay-per-view for some scrub. I'm not saying, and, and look, Umaga wasn't a scrub in that aspect. What I'm saying is. If you wanted Umaga to put Flair for Flair to put Umaga over, they should have built it to something more than just one month of garbage. Yeah. So let me I'm 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 gonna pass the baton to you, sir. What were your thoughts on Flair from 2002 till his retirement, which we'll we'll get to the back end of it, obviously, is the, the crux of our discussion. Yeah, that that's a that's a really good question. It's um I feel I always felt that Flair was had a very up and down was very up and down the way they used him and and there were times I thought it was really good and times I thought it it was more than it needed to be or it was too much and I, and I say that I think when he first returned and they and they had this idea of playing the authority role and doing a lot of promo work and then he had the one off match he had the match against McMahon he had the match at WrestleMania against Taker these one off occasional matches really fit well because like you're saying, he's, he's been such a star and such a, a, a main player for so long. I think he got wasted a lot by having him wrestle unnecessary matches to have when he be, when they used him as a full-time competitor, almost on the show every week, it really, I, I, I felt it took a lot away from who he was. It, it never, yeah, he, he was never presented as the legend. He was presented as another guy, often as an old guy, um, you know, part of evolution or whatever. And then there were times when they present him really well and they they really play into the fact that he's the legend and 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 these one-off occasions work brilliantly. I mean, the, the one-night storyline of his match against Triple H that's on the Flair DVD and, um, I mean, that was just... That was a sensational storyline. Yeah, that can he still go for a night worked worked so well. Um, I loved the idea of him being that mentor with Evolution and wish that they'd kept it to maybe the occasional in-ring match where, you know, like the six-man at WrestleMania where he, you know, you've got to – he's not uh, the key player. And, and I felt that they used him too often. And, and as a result, it really felt that – there were times, like you were saying, the Amaga, the Amaga thing was very much a, why, why did we have to do it that way? It had no build, no recognition. It just makes Flair look like anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, 
And with his history, he wasn't anyone else. I mean, every time Hogan has made his comeback, Hogan is presented as a legend. We highlight who he was, how big he was, how amazing his career has been. And so a match against Hogan, when he made any of his comebacks post-2002, they were always a big deal. I always felt the same thing should have been there for Ric Flair. It should have been a big deal when he got in the ring. It should have been a big deal when someone faced him. Whether he's going to win or lose, it should have been a big deal because he he could be used to elevate people. He could be used to elevate an Orton, uh, 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 Cena, who or whoever, because they're beating this legend. But when he's when he's in the ring consistently over that time, often every week, and we know that Ric Flair loves to do it, but the way he was presented, I always felt took a lot away from what he'd earned the right to be and how he should have been presented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not saying, because listen, 2002, Hogan did put over, uh, he did put over, um, uh, Brock and Kurt Brock. Yeah. He put over Kurt and, and he put Brock over pretty strong. I mean, Brock beat the crap out of him and made him bleed and everything. So I'm not saying, I mean, Hogan definitely did that, but that was a big deal. Mm. Flair putting over Umaga by getting the shit beat out of him in some throwaway secondary pay-per-view match is bullshit. I'm sorry. Mm. And ju- I remember JR and I had a very, very, uh, stern debate about that and again uh i'm i think it was it was one of the I, I wish i could remember which year it was check out go back to our archive here on place to be on the ptb wrestling network it's either backlash 05 or check out the debate that uh that um that jr and i have uh about um that match between Flair and uh, and Umaga. I'm gonna say it's it was 06. And he beat him in three and a half minutes. Mm. Are you serious? But, but, God, but that, here's that, the thing. I should I shouldn't even have looked it up, Dave. It pissed me off even more. <laughs> but, but here's the thing. You know, if you had if if Flair was if you had had a bit of build to it, like Umaga talks about how he can beat the legends of any era and had a nice big build to it and make it a featured thing. That could have meant something to even beat Flair that quickly could have made Umaga look absolutely, you know, over the top. You know, this guy, you know, he doesn't care about legends, but it wasn't presented that way. It's the presentation of Flair that that really, I felt, really becomes an issue in sort of 02 to 08. There are times they present him as an all-time great that needs to be revered and respected and and can still go. And there were times they just presented him as just another guy, just another member of the roster who it doesn't matter if you – what did Umaga gain by beating Flair in that way on that night? Nothing. He didn't gain anything from it because it meant nothing. But if they presented Flair – in a way that it was going to be a big deal, even beating him quickly would have meant something. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, and yeah, there were some great, 
Flair matches during. I, I don't want to dive. We'll, when we specifically get, I'll let you steer that one. I want to get into this. I want to talk about this 02 to like say 0, early 07 stretch for just a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he didn't wrestle it. Let's go back to the manias. He, he wrestled it. Listen, he put over. T- like, all right, I'll give you an example. Perfect example. Taker at WrestleMania 18. Mm. But he put over Taker. But that was a great build. That was a fucking amazing build. Yeah. It to, meant to something. Exactly. It, and it, it absolutely beat, meant something. Yeah, Taker beat up David and and then Arnd had that fucking killer uh had that killer uh uh spine buster out of nowhere. Um it was it was that's a build and Taker put and Flair put Taker over. So I'm not saying that Flair should not have put guys over. But that's putting that's using Ric Flair to effectively put somebody over. Not have him get his ass kicked in three and a half minutes in some throwaway pay-per-view in 2006. Ric Flair doesn't deserve that. I'm sorry, this is not, and again, I don't want to disrespect another legendary wrestler, but this is not Pedro Morales in the WWF in, you know, 86, 87 on fucking superstars beating Barry O one minute and then getting his butt kicked by Brutus Beefcake the next. But that's how it, that's how it often came across. That that's the thing. It's how it often came across. The yeah. The comparison should have been Bruno. Bruno. I mean, you yes. look at how Bruno was presented in the eighties. He was for a match with Bruno. Had a match with someone. It meant something. I mean, he came out of retirement for his Larry Zabisco feud. It meant something. And then every now and then, Bruno would would appear. He would have a match. The only the only match that I can think of of Bruno's that didn't mean anything was that WrestleMania 2 Battle Royal. Yes. Uh, it just yep. shouldn't have been in that. But outside of that, he got angry. He got annoyed at what Savage did to Steamboat. They have a series of house show matches, or he has some house show matches with Piper, but it was always a big deal. Uh, and it was always Dave, a those, short-term thing. The, Dave, those Boston Garden matches in, like, early 86 – and against, uh, Sa- I mean, Savage and uh, Savage and Bruno would have intercontinental title cage matches at the Boston Garden. I think he had one mm. in MSG, too. You know, Maple Leaf Gardens. Obviously, Savage was not losing the IC title. To, I mean, realistically, now looking back, obviously, Bruno was not going to win the title. Duh. But in 1987, do you know that? But, no. but beyond that, he was Bruno was presented as the uh, as a legend. Him getting in the ring meant something. He uh, fans. I mean, I we were I was young then. You were young then. We might not have understood that, but probably if you know people who were our age back then probably would have known Bruno is not going to beat Savage. But it still it still drew because people were keen. Oh, Bruno's stepping out of retirement. He's he's having a match. This is this is a big deal. Flair wasn't presented in that way in the he could have been. Like the Undertaker thing was a big deal because it was only his second match. Um the the, the Triple H, the one night thing with Triple H, that was a big deal because he hadn't been competing regularly. But the Amaga thing, it was just it was just another match. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't presented that way. And there were too many of those matches in my mind, too many matches of flair just being in there when they could have reworked these stories and done it another way. Yeah, exactly. And I like, I even appreciated the late Oh five 
when he won the Intercontinental title, and then Triple H came back after the Batista feud on the episode of Homecoming when Raw went back to USA, and Triple H absolutely beat the tar out of him to build a feud. And then Mm. they had that awesome cage match at Taboo Tuesday 2005, which is an amazing match. And that's putting over somebody. You know, Flair got the win, Mm. but Triple H got the last word because he was the younger and, you know, obviously continuing to get, you know, go over. Mm. That's how you, that's how you use Ric Flair to put guys over. Ric Flair is not over the hill Pedro Morales or, or whatever. You don't throw him in a secondary match against some brute that makes no sense and have him get the shit kicked out of him in three and a half minutes in like the second match of the show. Sorry, not happening. It's not how it works with Ric Flair. Sorry, it's not. I'll, 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 I'll die on that hill and I'll bring anybody down with me. But I'm sorry. I'm usually not like this day with, with certain topics, but Ric Flair should not have been treated like a piece of shit. And there were times in that six-year stretch between 2002 and 2008 that Ric Flair was treated like a piece of shit. Mm. And, you know, just my opinion. So No, absolutely. I, I agree with you there. I agree with you. And that's why I, th- I think this – this topic and this rabbit hole that we're about to go through, I think is, is such a good concept to look at because I think it didn't just stop at, you know, it didn't, it, it continued right through even, even these last few months of, of his, of this stage of his career as, as we're about to look at, because I think that they, there was a lot of stuff around the build to his retirement match uh, with Shawn Michaels that, you know, there are a lot of times it, it continued to just be treated as another night, another week, as opposed to having some significance around it. They 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 tried to develop this retirement storyline um, for Ric Flair as a way of building to a memorable finale. And and I'll give credit, the finale was memorable, but from when they announced it to when it culminated there was still a lot of crap in there. There was still a lot of misuse and a lot of waste of time stuff that could have been done so differently. And I really feel, and even, and even the end of it, and this, obviously this is why we're, we're going to be looking at this, this trip tonight, the, the, even, even the end of his retirement, there, there are things that they could have done that could have made it even more impactful because I always felt going into to this retirement storyline, I felt from the beginning, you knew it was building to WrestleMania and you knew he was retiring there. Mm -hmm. And, and it took a little bit out of what was happening in the lead up because you sort of, those of us who'd been around for a while knew exactly where it was headed. We, we knew that this was going to culminate at WrestleMania. Flair was going to retire there. It was going to be a big deal. And, and, and we can move from there. And so the lead up to it, there were times when it just felt like another week. It felt like it meant nothing. It was just mm-hmm. another, it wasn't even a, a chapter in the story. Right. Uh, it was a, it was just a, a throwaway. Oh, we've got to remember. Oh, we forgot that Ric Flair's got this retirement storyline going. Uh, who can he wrestle this week to, to just keep it in your memory? Yeah. And some weeks, uh, it, you're right. It's like, uh, yeah, whatever. Um, 
uh, it just it was very frustrating um, mm. that it it just felt like another. It ended up being probably one of the biggest and most amazing matches at WrestleMania 24, which of course Jr. and I just uh, just covered on the Place to Be podcast. Um, uh, and I have an interesting theory about um, what to do. I don't know where we are, Dave, and how you want to proceed, but I'm feeling uh, I'm feeling a little frisky. Um, so are we ready? Because uh, I, I, th- I think, I think I'm seeing the are. swirl. I'm seeing the swirl in front of me. I'm seeing the 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 monocle is coming up. I'm ready to jump through the hole and and get yeah, down to business I think, because I have an idea. I think the door's been opened. I think the door's right. been opened. I think we're ready to, to jump through the rabbit hole. We're going to go through the looking glass, everyone. And if you haven't worked out where we're going, we've been talking about Ric Flair and his retirement. Clearly, we are wanting to look at the. Late 2007, early 2008, Ric Flair retirement storyline culminating at WrestleMania. So let's jump in. Let, let's let's put our glasses on, jump through the hole, hold on to your boots, everyone, because we're going in to late 2007. And I, I guess I'll, I'll let you say. You said you've got you've got you feel it percolating. Where does it start for you? I mean, the the, the storyline started in late November when Flair comes out and does a promo and talks about how he's got a lot going on in life, but he's never going to retire. And Vince comes out and says, well, the next time you lose a match, you're going to retire. That's it. The end of the story. It sort of came out of nowhere and hits you in the face, but it was certainly an interesting start. Where are you thinking, Scott? Where, where does, does it, does it, should it have, should it have started any differently? Or do you feel that, that the beginning of this storyline was the right way? Uh, well, obviously, obviously, um, Vince, yeah was smart Vince. he's a fucking asshole so <laughs> you know even so i think that's not the problem uh i don't think it should have been in the middle of a when, when you want to start a huge storyline one that you want a lot of gravitas 90 percent of the time it needs to end the show so mm. what they needed to do was flair wrestles a match against somebody wins it and then flair uh vince comes out at the end and says I have your future in my hands. Okay. Yeah. You're this is this is a young man's game, Rick, and you're old and washed up. So, but since you obviously are too stupid to retire on your own because you still think for some reason this is 1985, you can keep wrestling until you lose. And the minute you lose, I realize you're useless to me. So, um you're done. So the beginning of the storyline is fine with me. Uh, I have no problem, but to me, it's the placement. It Mm. needed to be at the end of a show to close out raw and mean something instead of just being some throwaway line at the, in the middle, you know, in the, in the between break, uh, 
you know, commercial. It needed yeah. to be treated as something special. Because it would allow then it would allow Flair to really build. You, Flair would have been able to cut a promo then about how, like you said, uh, even like you said, I, I'm going to go until you know you can never stop me. You know if 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 I've got to win every match from here on, I'll do it. I'm the greatest there ever was. I'm the man. You know, he can throw in to be the man. You got to beat the man. Well, if someone can beat me, they can be the man. But until they do. It's still me. You, you, you could Flair could cut one of those legendary promos. You're going to have the crowd enthralled. You're going to have the crowd going, "My goodness, what's going on here?" And and generate that expectation. Flair could throw out there, "I'm a 16 time champion. I plan on winning that title again. I plan on being the champ forever." You know, you can't, you know, you, you can't do anything about it. So I think that that's um, that's where the yeah it. it it, happening at the end of the show generates the excitement that it means something. And especially if you've used it on the back of a victory and on the back of a victory of maybe someone prominent, someone not, not necessarily a champ, but certainly someone in the upper card who maybe Flair wasn't expected to be. Maybe even earlier in the night, Vince could have been talking to whoever he was facing as a, you know, this is just the next step, a Ken Kennedy or whatever. This is just the next step on your journey to the top. And all of a sudden, Flair's beaten this guy who Vince had hopes for. And it and it triggers that you're you're ruining this for me. You know, why are you winning this match? And 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 gives it that that basis storyline to build out of. But yeah, end of the end of the night would have certainly made it much more important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's just on a storyline to be big. You end the show with it. So I don't have an issue with like, the way the, the 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 story began. I didn't like that it was just a throwaway shit thing in the middle of a show. It should have mm-hmm. been a big deal. Considering, let's be honest, uh, Dave. Considering the other feuds, the other feuds on Raw at that time were. I mean, you had Randy Orton was champion, and that was fine. Triple H was chasing him. Uh, you know, uh, John Cena was hurt. Um, you know, you had some tag stuff going on on Raw. Uh, I mean, it, Raw, Raw at the time was not the greatest thing on the planet. So hmm. why you don't just end the show, uh, end that show, and start focusing on Flair as a major cog on Raw I don't get it because nothing else is going on. And yes, uh, JR and I have documented on the Place Be podcast. We were very much in love. We had a bromance with 0708 uh, uh, Randy Orton. He was awesome. Mm. Absolutely awesome. And, uh, um, And I'm fine with that. But the issue is um, that other than that, there wasn't really that much going on on Raw, so uh, I just—it was really unfortunate that that it had to be such a throwaway, um, a, a throwaway of a uh, uh, a storyline when it could have been treated so much better. Because to be honest, other than Orton and maybe the return of Jericho, Raw was really not any any great shakes in the grand mm. scheme of things. And I, we talked about that on the Place Be podcast, so. It's just, I don't know. 
there was room. There was room for this feud to make. Uh, there was room for this feud to to be something special instead of just another, you know, just another uh, storyline. You know what I mean? And, and that 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 to me is the, the part of the key is it should have been something special because we're talking about the greatest ever in my mind, in your mind, the greatest ever, and certainly one of the greats if you don't view him as the greatest ever. Building to, he's just been told. The next time you lose, you're retiring. You got no choice. So it from from that moment on, every week this could have been built as something massive because every week it could have been one of the key focal points of the show. Who is Vince going to be putting up against, or or William Regal as general manager? Who is who is going to be put against Ric Flair this week? Who is going to try and end his career? Because that's what it's coming as. It's the ending of his career. It, it's who's going to put him out of action. Who's going to send him into retirement? And they should have been having guys coming out left and right. I want it to be me. Give me the chance to retire Ric Flair. Um, up-and-comers, veterans, whoever it is. I want to be the one to, to end Ric Flair's career. That's That would have made it a weekly thing of, of promoting it, Ric Flair having his match, and you know he could do interviews beforehand. I'm, I'm, I'm you're never going to stop me. I'm, I'm here. I'm wheeling, dealing, you know, limousine riding, jet flying. I'm, 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 you know, when I win this match, I'm going to get in the limo and go to the next town, and we're going to do it all again. And you know, come, come ride Space Mountain, and starting to throw out some of the old promo stuff. He could have, could have been inviting people back to. The, could have been inviting the ladies back to the hotel room like he used to, <laughs> like he used to do. You, you could have latched onto that because the more he wins, the more that confidence should have been presented of the old Ric Flair. Here I am, guys. I'm, I'm back, baby. I'm the man. Um, and and each week you could have presented the person as as a danger to the career. Whereas I felt most weeks between. Between the announcement of the storyline and, and and probably the announcement that Shawn Michaels was going to be the man he wrestled at, at WrestleMania, there were very few weeks where it really meant something. There was I remember there was one week where they really put on he, he faced Triple H, and and they really built it on that episode of Triple H didn't want to end his friend's career and and they put some bit more emphasis on it that if Flair lost uh, that if Hunter lost he'd be out of the rumble loop. So they 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 put some emphasis there where it meant but most weeks it was just Flair was wrestling a match and we got reminded, oh don't forget if he loses this match he he's got to retire. Well there's no build there. There's nothing in that. And I think each week it should have been coming out of that that the very next week you know, Vince should have been. I'm so angry that you that that happened. Or his next up and comer, um, someone that he's been pushing, you know, up the card. Whether it be, like I said, whether it be a Ken Kennedy or a or or a, you know a, a Cody Rhodes or you know whoever, you know, he's the guy that's being that's being you know he's the guy. He's the next one. He can do it. Go in the ring, in the ring with him, and you know. 
Flair wins that match again and, and Vince or William Regal is furious about it. And so the next week we get the, well, who's it going to be this time? Who can we, we find? He's beaten that person. He's beaten that person. There must be someone else to do it. People should have been knocking on doors, lining up for it, coming coming across from SmackDown. I want the shot. I want to take him on this week. That, to me, should have been what we should have been seeing on a week-to-week basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and that leads me to some interesting scenarios going on between now, between uh, between this moment and, say, the Rumble. Mm-hmm. We go to Madison Square Garden because this is a case. You book this, and we don't have to have uh, Cena come back early because – JR and I made this point on uh, on the last couple of pay-per-views, and maybe, uh, Dave, uh, Dave uh, you we discuss it. Who knows? But we were talking about John Cena and how it's evident that the injury is not totally ready, is not totally healed, because he did the big pop at he did the big pop at uh, at the Garden at the Rumble. Wrestles a eh, match with. Uh, Orton at no way out. And then the next two matches are multi-guys. He wrestles in the, you know, the three-way at WrestleMania and then the four fatal four-way at um, Backlash, which he's out of the match, you know, quicker than we think. And then, uh, and then at Judgment Day, he wrestles a ho-hum match with, uh, with JBL. So instead of panicking and bringing Cena back too early, why not, okay, why not rebook the Rumble at the Garden and have Ric Flair win the Rumble? Uh, have him still wrestle MVP uh, early on and then due to a paperwork screw up, you know, something between, I don't know, something between, uh, uh, you know, Vince and coach or some slot backstage, uh, somehow, um, flair gets in the rumble, even though, even though, uh, Vince keeps avoiding him winning the rumble. And then, uh, he comes in at 30 Mm. and, Wins exactly the way he wins in 1992. Maybe Batista or Orton. No, no, maybe not Orton because he's champion. Uh, Somebody in Triple H are jawing with each other. And out of the blue, Flair comes in the ring. And just like he did to Sid 16 years earlier, Mm. Flair comes from behind and dumps Triple H over the top rope and wins the Rumble. And instead of getting pissed... Triple H looks at Flair and goes, you crafty son of a bitch. And almost smirks at him going, Mm. "Uh, what do you think I am? Psycho Sid or something. He can make some some wise crack the next night on Raw. Like, what do you think I am, Mm. Sid? I wasn't out playing softball, you know, or you can make some fucking wise ass crack on Raw or something. Mm. But the, the fact remains is you could do something like that. And then... 
Flair is told by Vince, well, listen, listen, asshole, I, you know, I'm not waiting to, I'm not letting you wait till WrestleMania. This is my company. I do whatever the hell I want. So screw you. You're wrestling. You want your title shot. You get it tonight. Tonight. You've got, you get your title shot tonight against Randy Orton and that's it. You lose and I'm, and and I'm rid of you for good. I'll stop there and then I'll continue. What do you, what do you, well, then we'll move on. What do you think? Um, I, I am in total agreement with the, with the rumble idea. I, I, I think that's exactly what they should have looked to do. I think uh, you could have, however he ends up in the rumble, whether he has to wrestle a qualifying match to get in, I would have even put out there that, you know, you know, Vince reminds him, you know, you're taking a risk getting in, you know, going into the rumble. What if you don't win? And maybe there could be some provision. They talk about the fact, well, the rumble doesn't count because you can't be pinned or submitted. So maybe there's something in the contract that says that that doesn't count towards the loss so that people aren't expecting the win. Or I like better that maybe it's, it's, it's the shock thing. It, it comes in, maybe someone's been injured, hurt, you know, and they need a replacement and they draw a name out of a hat. And whatever it is, but Flair ends up being in the Rumble. Like you said, I, I see him coming out at 30. And, and it's that sort of thing. He probably doesn't even do anything else except get in the ring and eliminate the two guys who are wrestling, at, you know, fighting at the edge of the ropes. Exactly like you said, dumping that Sid sort of style, just dumping the last two guys over the top rope to get that, to get that win of everyone sort of, oh, my goodness, can't believe they've, they've done that. And... And and he sits there and he can cut his promo post match. I'm you know, I've done it. I'm going to Mania. I'm going to be the champion again. I I've shown you. I said I was going to do it. I said I'm the man. And until you beat me, you know, bring it on. Bring on. I'm the greatest world champion ever. Sixteen time. I'm going to make it seventeen. Um, you know, and I think it would. I think it would have. It would have popped the crowd big time. It would have really drawn everyone in to. Where are they taking this? Because here's this old guy, yet he's just won the Rumble. And it and it gives credence to the anyone can win the Rumble thing. Because mm-hmm. it really, the Rumble, and even now, the Rumble has really gotten to the point of, they, they talk up the whole, well, any one of the 30 men can win it. But we all know the only people who are going to win it are going to be the, uh, are the upper level guys who are going to be going to wrestle, who are going to be in title matches. They don't parade that you, you can't. And, and, and when you run a storyline, when you run it with the idea of the winner gets a title shot at WrestleMania, that that's the, that's the counter balance to it. You can't have Santino Morella win it. You can't have, um, you know, you, you can't have, you know, someone just Horn sort of, Hornswoggle, yeah, you you can't have one of them get the victory, even though they're in the in the rumble, because it just it's not going to play into that WrestleMania storyline. But this this would because Flair has been the champion so many times before that it's not out of the realms of possibility of Flair being given a title match at some point again, um, because you can build a story around that. So I agree with I agree. Bring bring him in, bring him on. I think you and I may have a little bit of a different direction coming out of WrestleMania, uh, out of uh, the Royal Rumble. But I think we've both got the same idea there of Flair winning and 
and moving forward from there. So I'm totally on board with that. Mm. Uh, all right. So let me continue as we're traveling through. Oh, the rabbit. The the uh, the looking glass has some nice colors this time. Mm. All like flares, like flares, uh, various uh, tights, boots combos throughout the years. Um, mm. So uh, did he wear pink? When did he wear pink? Was it Starcade 85? I think he wore pink at Starcade 85. Yeah, I think he also um, wore them at Starcade 88 as well. Yeah, uh, I think green he did. at 88. Might have yep. been uh, Great American Bash. He wore the he wore the powder blue at Starcade 83 when he beat Harley in the cage. Uh, don't remember what, he, what color he had in 84. That's always a black hole for me, that Starcade 84 show. I keep forgetting the, uh, the million-dollar match, him and Dusty with Joe Frazier and all that. I never totally remember that. But anyway, so that, so that night on Raw, Randy Orton, who's the world champion, and, and, and Vince tells him, don't worry. Don't worry. We're, we're good. We're good. And so the main event that night on Raw, the night after the Rumble, is Randy Orton versus uh, Ric Flair for the WWE Championship. And, and, you know, Orton's beating the tar out of him, and he's like, you know, old man, you know, you taught me everything you know. You know, I was in evolution. I was paying attention, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, out comes, you know, all of these, uh, you know, all of these heels, you know, the MVPs and all these guys to come out and, you know, uh, try and stop him. And, and, you know, every time he gets an upper hand, he gets, you know, pulled out of the ring or some kind of slop. Um, and then, uh, you know, Vince decides we're going to make a no holds barred. So then now these guys can interfere. Triple H comes out, it becomes, and then, then maybe for one night while he's still healing, then John Cena comes out, gives an mm. FU to Orton. Orton's like all messed up and Flair comes in, crawls him up and it happens. Ric Flair on the Raw after WrestleMania, or I'm sorry, the Raw after the Royal Rumble becomes the WWE champion. And the place goes batshit. Triple H comes out, he get, you know, gets on all the all the heat baby faces come out. They're on Flair's shoulders and it's all just, it's, it's just, it's an amazing moment. An amazing moment. Flair is the champion. Vince is pissed. Uh, you know, and so Orton wants his rematch at No Way Out. Um, so Orton and Flair have a rematch at No Way Out. Meanwhile, we have other stuff and we have, you know, maybe number one contenders or whatever. The match ends inconclusively. Flair, you know, it ended a no contest. It's technically not a loss. Flair defends the title against, you know, Vince throws title matches at him throughout Mm. Raw. And then at WrestleMania 24, say inside of a steel cage or something crazy, that's when Randy Orton wins the title back and Ric Flair's career ends. Mm. That's what I, that's what I do. You got to make sure that Orton, cause Orton has earned the right to be the top heel. Mm. So I think Orton gets the win back, wins the title. Maybe he gets a little bit of a baby face look and looks at him and goes, good job, old man. And then walks off. And then we do the same stuff. Th- 
the flair match, you know, the ending of that of WrestleMania ends the same way that the flair Sean match ends where he hugs, you know, the family and yada, 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 and all that stuff. Um, mm. Because I got to be honest, as much as I love Undertaker and Edge, I always thought, and we, and listen, we just talked, we just did this, this show uh, on the Place Me podcast. So check it out. Uh, JR and I just did WrestleMania 24. Uh, maybe you could put Taker Edge at another part in the show. Maybe you have Taker Edge in where that triple threat slot was. Um, I know take I know Taker will probably be pissed because you know he wasn't the last match the year before at Ford Field, but you know shit happens. And um, you have uh, uh, Flair and Orton in a cage or in some kind of of match and that's where flair finally loses randy orton wins the world title back and flair's career is over Mm. so i still i still end my opinion uh dave i i still end the uh i still end the retirement at wrestlemania uh 24 but Instead, Flair has his last reign as WWE champion, and Orton ends it. And then mm. I think it's because then it's you know what it kind of you know what for me too, Dave. And I, this is my last point. And I I'm, I didn't mean to hog the time. I'm I'm very very excited what you would think, and hopefully you agree with me. But maybe you don't. But that's okay. Um, I think that similar. I think this gives Orton a rematch or kind of a a. a an opportunity he didn't get when he didn't beat Taker three years earlier at WrestleMania 21, mm-hmm. when everyone thought he was going to be the guy that broke the streak. Yep. Ending Flair's career on the big stage, where he's three years older, three years better, three years more mature, mm. and just better character, makes it a better, uh, you know, a better scenario. That's mm. my that's my take. So there's my story. What do you think? I I, I, I like it. I, I like the idea of um, of Flair getting a, a last runner's champ and 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 then you know coming full circle. And uh, my ideas when I share them in moment, I, I have some very similar thoughts to you, especially in regards to Orton. I, I do agree with you. I think Orton was the guy who who should have who could have been used in this situation. And I think um, you know it, it, it really would have. Um, been a, a a big lift for him to be able to be the man who retired uh Rick Flair. And I, I like the idea of of the celebration, Flair getting a celebration, Flair getting um one last run as as champ and, and going week to week with everyone trying to take him down. I think I think it would have been a, a great little uh, nostalgic um Run that that would have oh, would have drawn viewers in. I think people would have been interested to see it. Um, I, I have a slightly different take on the journey, okay. Um, but I have a similar outcome to the journey. So as I said, I've got um, I've got Flair winning the Rumble as well, and I think we come out of the Rumble. That's where I, I would see whatever the authority figure is takes it to the next level because. We know that Flair, if he loses his next match, is retiring. So it almost becomes not only if he loses his next match, but whoever beats him is going to get the WrestleMania 
championship match. And so now we move up to now we start to see the the main eventers lining up to to have that match. And uh, you know, you know, the Amagas, the the you know the Kennedys, maybe maybe bringing over um, Batista comes over from SmackDown for a shot. Um, whoever it is, and each week, each week Flair scrapes it out. Whether it be, you know, and I think the dirtiest player in the game comes into it. He, he's cheating left and right. He's rolling people up. He's grabbing tights. He's putting his feet on the ropes. He's he's doing all sorts of crazy things that the crowd are absolutely loving. And each week. You know, when he beats a bad guy, that's just how it, he, he maybe does the bolt out so that he doesn't get, you know, post-match attacked. And if he beats a good guy, that guy gives him the shake hands. He's sort of, you know, yeah, you got me. Maybe at the at No Way Out, you get the Hunter match where Triple H is like, this is my, I'm sorry, Rick, but I want that title. I've been gunning for Orton. I want the belt. I, I don't. I don't want to retire you, but I want the title shot. And and they have their their match there, and they have a barnstormer, and Flair pulls that one out. And then from no way out to Mania, it, it's sort of you work out a way, you get the contract signed. And I think the storyline really becomes then, you know, Flair acknowledging, I'm going to win that belt or I'm going to retire. And then you can start doing on a weekly basis you take the focus maybe away from Flair wrestling each week that Flair might even say that match is in place. Now we've got to sign the document. I am not going to compete again until mania when I get my shot. And then each week you start to do some interviews. You start to bring up some of the history, you know, you interview the horseman, you interview dusty, you interview Ricky steamboat, um, they can talk about how they fought Flair for titles, how they lost to Flair for world championships. You bring up Starcade 93. The last time Flair had to wrestle for a world title with his career on the line, he pulled it out. You show clips of his, of his career and his history each week, highlighting this idea that Flair, when his back is against the wall, always seems to pull something out. Um, you make it a big deal, the, the whole thing. And, and each week, Orton can be sitting there saying, I'm going to end it. Ric Flair, the, you know, what you were saying before, we've you, you taught me everything you know, but I've learned more since then, Rick. And Rick can be talking about how, you know, he's forgotten more than, than Orton has ever learned. And he's still got tricks up his sleeve that Orton hasn't even seen before. And you, you build this dynamic of Orton absolutely determined to be the man to end the career and flair constantly the storyline of can he do it can he do it just one more time one more time and then like you said orton and flair have some barnstormer of a match and orton out of nowhere and i'd have flair figure four in the middle of the ring and the crowd going wild and the you know, Orton's shoulders end up against the mat and one, two, and he's up and, you know, fighting it and doing everything he can. And you have that hope moment in there. But in the end, Orton, RKO out of nowhere, takes him out, gets the win. And then the ending, like you said, we still get the Orton sort of brief celebration. He leaves. Flair gets a standing ovation from everyone for putting on this match and and putting Orton over. And I think... I think 
I don't think Flair needed the title win to round it out. I think the storyline could have been told in a way that winning the championship could still be seen as an option when you talk up the history and you bring up who he is. And if every week everyone is saying Flair can do it, Flair, he's always found a way. And even the guys like that he beats along the way, Hunter, I thought I'd beat him and he, and he still got it. And each week you've just got that more and more belief that he can pull it out. But Orton is the man to, to end it and, uh, and finish off. So I agree with you with the ending. I, I wouldn't have put the belt on him myself, but I think you could have really built up a real memorable tear-jerking storyline of can Flair do it with his whole history being brought into it, getting clips from Starcades and getting clips from various championship wins through his career. And Flair being able to say, they thought I couldn't do it again. They thought I wouldn't be able to do it then, and I did. When I lost to Steamboat, they thought that was it, and I did it again. When I lost to Sting, they thought that was it, and I did it again. Um, all the way through to his last one and and, and really sort of cement that, that massive storyline for it. And I think it would have made a massive main event that people would remember for the ages because Flair could – we saw when he wrestled – Michaels, he could still pull it out one match with the right opponent. I think Orton would have helped bring it because Orton in 08, he was, oh, I think that he really had hit the top of his game. And um, I think it would have been a great thing to elevate Orton to the net. To, to, he was a main event player, but it would have launched him into the stratosphere of one of the legends. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I, I... I think there was just a great way to do it, uh, you know, in, in, in a way that, that makes him leave as the greatest. And then you still do the Raw the next night. You still do the Raw with the, with the farewell and the horseman and all yes. that. And, that, and, that, and that, that could still happen. That could still happen. Yes. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm very uh, confident that you and I came up with a pretty good, uh, you know, a pretty good uh, theory. Mm. on on how to do this i think uh i think that this could have been painted i just wish that it that that it was taken more seriously i think that's what makes us more mm. upset is that this could have been taken more seriously and it was just treated as yeah it was kind of treated as a as a as a big deal but not as big as it not as big as it should have been it should have been. It should have been in 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 the in the in the status of streak. It should have been. We're ending the career of, of yeah. This this is such a big thing that Flair's career is going to end. It should have been up there in that storyline style of this is just such a big deal and it, and 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 makes such a big deal of it. And then the guy who the guy who beats him, there is there is something elevating in it like. HBK did not need to face Ric Flair in his last match. We know that that was part of, that was Flair's desire, but he didn't need to. Orton would have been elevated into a, uh, into a stratosphere that, that he hadn't been in before. And it would have, it would have taken him to a new level that I, I think would have helped him. And as the heel, he really could have played on it coming out the way the one thing, just going back to where we've been before, talking, you know, we, we spoke at our mania thing about the whole should Brock Lesnar have ended the streak, but the one thing that was good that came out of it 
was Paul Heyman every week talking about how Lesnar was the one in 21 and one. He Lesnar is the one who ended the streak. Right, Orton, right. Could, Orton could have built the next six months of, I, I retired Ric Flair, you know, and if you're not, so he's in, in his next matches, he doesn't have to be a retirement angle, but I'm going to beat you so bad. I'm going to send you into retirement as well. Like he, he could have built on that with his arrogance for, for months and months on that heel character would have just been sensational. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, again, I think just as important, uh, just as important, Dave, as Flair's part of it is the fact that Orton is the one that puts him over. Orton mm. is, the, is the one that gets the putting over. Orton is the yeah. important one because he's the heel that that is probably going to be the guy for the next, you know, five, six, seven years uh, yeah. at the top of either card, whether it's Raw or SmackDown. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and it, it makes him, yeah. It, it's something that can be... It's something that can be carried, and and it plays back into the legend killer gimmick, right? He 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 rebuilt himself, or he built himself as the legend killer. So to end the career of a legend, then then you start the journey of well, I'm going to do some more. Right, exactly. So I think that I think we didn't. This is probably the least tweaking we've done, Dave, on a on a. Mm. The least tweaking we've done on a uh, uh, on a looking glass in the sense that we're not really changing a ton. We're simply changing the level of importance of it. Mm, absolutely. That's what we're changing. The level yeah. of importance of it. That's all. Mm. Uh, we still think Flair should retire, should have retired at WrestleMania 24 and never should have wrestled again, uh, even though everybody and I know two people that are going to this card in Nashville in a couple weeks. It shouldn't have never happened. It should have no. just ended when it ended, and that was that's right. And that was that. That's right. So, so, uh, so there we go, everybody. That's that's uh, you know, again, we didn't, you know, not every looking glass has to be a complete uh, complete uh, makeover and destruction, but mm. you know, I thought it was just, I, I, I think it was a great topic, Dave, and one that we mm. could that we didn't have to go crazy on, but just to to once again mark the importance of. Uh, uh, mark the importance of Flair as uh, one of the best of all time. Yeah. And, and it should have gone out better than he did. That's right. And and, and, and it, it's like, this is our tribute. This is our tribute to, to Flair as, as his career, hopefully, finally, winds down permanently. Um, I agree with you. He should never have come out of retirement again. And sadly, oh, of all the things, sadly, his first match out of retirement was was actually down here in Australia. That's right. On that, yes. on that, on that absolutely <laughs> woeful Hogan down under tour. It was. Yes. It was oh God. And, and I, I I didn't actually I didn't go. Um, unfortunately, the tickets they were just too expensive for me. Knowing I, I would have loved to have seen Hogan Flair, but I also knew that what I'd be in for. I didn't end up going. And from all accounts, the people who I know did go. The, the the general consensus was he shouldn't they should not have had that match. The both of them should not have competed. I mean, Hogan struggled in the ring with his with his with his health and his body, and yeah, it, it should never have happened. Everything after that has just been one one horrible thing after another. I just I just hope I just hope that whoever he faces in his last match that that it's done in a way that doesn't 
that people aren't going to watch this going, oh, Rick, why did you do that? You, you should not have done that. I hope that they can come up with a match that at least is honouring to Flair and, and honouring to his legacy and, and doesn't diminish it because I think that's what I fear most for Flair is that he comes away looking like an old man who shouldn't have stepped in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Mm. But but we did it right. I'm glad in our in the alternate universe we made we still had Flair go out, but we had him go out the way he should have gone out as yeah. a legend and as a guy who commanded a stage and he would have commanded mm. the Citrus Bowl in Orlando for that last time. Yep. Yeah. So Well, I hope everybody enjoyed that trip. That was a lot of fun, Dave. I enjoyed that topic very much. Uh, join us, uh, join us, of course, uh, next month in August, even though this year WWE decided to fuck up tradition and SummerSlam is in July uh, oh, next month in August, disgraceful. Uh, as we did as we, yeah, I know, right? Really? As we did in uh, January with WrestleMania and as we are, I'm sorry, with the Royal Rumble. And as we did in our March episode with, uh, with, uh, WrestleMania, of course, next month in August will be our, uh, SummerSlam episode where we'll, do like we did and maybe pick some years where uh, perhaps we could have done a little tweaking and made a card better. I know there's a ton of years where the SummerSlam card could definitely have used uh, some severe mirror universing. Mm. Uh, and and we're going to do that. So join us uh, next month uh, in August for the SummerSlam episode of Through the Looking Glass. And then I got we got an interesting – I have a good topic for, uh, for our September show that I, I'm going to talk to Dave about offline that I think will be a lot of fun. So mm. uh, Dave, where can everybody find you? Um, as always, everyone can find me on Facebook, um, lurking the lurking the place to be pages. I'm Dave Hall. Um, feel free to hit me up, send me a message. Um, you can also catch me uh, not just on this uh, on this show, but over on the the no so. You can uh, you can catch me every now and then popping up as as a guest on Johnny C's uh, Multiverse of Fabulousness. So um, a little bit more uh, out there exploration. So you can catch me around there. But please. Feel free, send me a message, uh, hit us up on, uh, on, the, on the Place to Be page, let us know what you think, and uh, we love hearing from you. Um, yeah, and uh, Dave's awesome. And you can hear him, obviously, here. As I mentioned, he's going, I'm not telling you which one. You're going to have to, re- you're gonna have to listen, but he is on a future episode of uh, the Place to Be podcast with myself and JR. So we will be talking 2008 again, Dave, together. <laughs> we're, <laughs> just not telling you, we're just not telling anybody when. Uh, of course, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Scott C Podfather. I always change my. Uh, I always change. I'm, I'm always goofy about this. I ch- always change my uh, podcast. Uh, my podcast. My uh, Twitter handle. Not my handle, but my Twitter title. Uh, this month, it's the Podfather of Bottle Rockets because it is Fourth of July month. But I always change it just to be weird. Um, so follow me on Twitter at Scott C Podfather. But most importantly, please follow the brand on Twitter at PTB and Wrestling. Mm. And uh, let us know what you think of this episode. What would you have done differently for Ric Flair's retirement? And would you have kept it that way? Mm. Uh, so uh, please do that and follow all the great pods. We had a great week last week with uh, new episodes of Extreme Resurrection, Talking WCW, Jenny, Tim, and uh, Greg did uh, Barry Windham. Great episode. Uh, new episode of uh, Highway to the Impact Zone, new episode of NWA Crock and Roll. And of course, this past weekend, we had some interesting stuff. New episode of, of course, the NWA Saturday special with me and the doctor. Uh, new episode of um, PTB uh, YouTube roulette. And also a new episode of It Was a Thing on TV. Occasionally, Greg Diener and the guys uh, will cross over to my side of the hallway 
uh, if it's a wrestling-centric episode, and this one was. Check it out uh, on the site. I hope everybody has a wonderful July. Continue enjoying your summer. Uh, stay warm or stay cool, depending where you live. And, <laughs> That's right. And, and uh, we will talk to you in August through the looking glass. We'll see you then.